0: This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
1: Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track, right to the wall. Gone! Elvis
0: Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field.
1: Meneo's the Guerrero lifts one to left field,
2: and... It is all about right now. And Frankie Montas, what is he going to give the A's today? Frankie Montas has been ace-like. I think there's no question about it. His last 13 starts, he's 5-2 and two with a 2.33 ERA. And we're getting down to the last games of the season you got to win every single game it is crazy to think how this thing is ending right now cuz the one team that is seizing the moment is the is the Toronto Blue Jays the Oakland Athletics if you think about what what has happened with the A's they were 17.3% chance to to make the playoffs and then they go back-to-back losses to the Texas Rangers, and they drop to 5.1% chance to make the playoffs. And what you have in front of you are teams that are under 500. You got Kansas City, and you got the Angels. Tell me what the A's record is going to be on Sunday night after the Angels game, and then we'll see if they have a shot. Because you're going to have four with the Mariners, three with the Astros. It's the last homestand of the season. And then you're going to have three and three on the road against Seattle and Houston. So the way the schedule lines up, it keeps the A's in it. It's a reality. But how are they going to play? How are you going to play in Kansas City? How are you going to play in Anaheim? and they'll tell you whether I'm optimistic or not for the rest of the season. Commander, these next few games against Kansas City and Anaheim, they're under 500. they they're done, their seasons are over, but how are you going to play against them will determine whether you have a shot in the last week.
1: Uh, Couldn't agree with you more. The A's record versus five teams that are... uh... 500 or, or less, so teams that stink. Uh, 49 and 22, A's record versus teams that are 500 or better, 28 and 44. That's a huge disparity in wins and losses between the two differences in opponents. So you got to win these games. A, a, a lo- losing
2: two out of three to Texas at home at this time of the year is a really bad luck.
1: Uh, especially when you blow a four run lead on Saturday.
2: Really bad luck. Yeah. It is what it is.
1: Yeah, it is. And you're right. And the Royals are playing for next year. Uh, they're building—I uh, wouldn't say they're building a bully, but they're building something in Kansas City. They—they uh, they have a guy that, if it wasn't for Shohei Otani and a guy going for the triple crown, uh, Salvador Perez might be the MVP. So we're going to get to see him play. So that I guess that's exciting because there's not a lot of guys besides our guy Whit Merrifield that you're like, oh my god, I got to watch him play for the Royals. Two hit Whit, but you got to—you got to win these games. Frankie Montas pitching tonight. He's in the top 10 among qualified starters in ERA and K per nine since July. That's a 2.25 ERA, and he's averaging 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings. You know, four of his 28 starts this year, I went back and looked, four of his 28 starts so far this year, he's only, whereas where he's given up four runs or more. So every other start, three runs or less. That's how good he's been. And he's only given up four home runs since July 2nd. Where the long ball was killing him earlier in the year, since July 2nd, he's been unbelievable not giving up home runs. He's given up four. So you need him to, I don't want to hear you go, this is the biggest start of Frankie Montas' career, but this might be. the biggest
2: start of Frankie Montas' career. No matter what you want to say, every game, I mean, every single game, every single moment from here on out, these guys, for the most part, have not played something that means this much. You're trying to get to the postseason. Acevedo has been called up from Triple A. Bert Smith has been uh, sent out. I mean, it's like who can help? Like, like Frankie Montas. It's it's almost like you got to ride him. And can't say it enough. Like, I don't want to see handshakes in the seventh. I want to see Frankie Montas go at least eight innings, and then bring Chafin in or whoever you deem as the best reliever. But the best reliever today is Frankie Montas. And that's getting through 8 innings. And everybody's watching the scoreboard. I mean, I mean it's crazy. A couple of days ago Toronto was not the number 1 team in the wild card. They're not they're now the number 1 team in the wild card. No one's catching Tampa in the east. But The same five teams continue to hang around. It's Toronto, it's Boston, it's New York, it's A's, and it's Seattle. Same teams. Now, the math changes on a day-to-day basis of where you are, but the same teams hasn't changed. And now Toronto, because they're the one that is actually seizing the moment, they're the number one team in the wild card. If the season ended today, the wild card game would be at the Rogers Center. And the Red Sox still have the COVID outbreak and still have their problems. Yankees continue to not be very good. And let's be honest, neither the A's. It's not like we've been very good lately. The Mariners have won, but they're not great. So it's like, who is going to... You know, it's basically everybody's got around 20 games left. Who's going to be the two teams that make it happen? And, oh, by the way, it's not like in the National League. You look at the National League, that last wild card game is up for grabs. The Padres have been terrible lately, and they've left Cincinnati, St. Louis, Philadelphia, uh what, New York? I would say, would you say Cody, those are the only teams that are left that have a shot?
1: Yeah, essentially. And the the Cardinals are the shocker to me. I mean, they're a half game out right now, and everyone wrote them off for dead. And the team that's you know, you mentioned Frankie Montosco in seven innings, and you want to see handshakes.
2: I want to see eight
1: innings. You want to see eight innings? Uh, let me let me just let me pull it up because I was looking at it earlier. I'm going to pull it up again and just just want to double check and just you know, make sure my I got my facts right. Who's second in the National League in innings pitch this year? Zach Wheeler's number one. Who's number two? A starter. It's a starter, yeah. I, I, who the knows? The, I the, no af, the aforementioned Cardinals and 40 year old Adam Wainwright. No has 190 in a third innings pitched, but Adam yet
2: Wainwright is second.
1: Yeah, he's second with 190 in a third innings pitched. He's an era under era under three. Coming back next year, by the way, Adam Wainwright. Yeah, so is yadi Molina. But we got guys that can't go can't go four innings. Uh, we but got
2: guys, we got guys on our team right now. that are like, oh, he's pitched 20 times and he's now tired. Adam Wainwright is Tom Brady,
1: essentially. I mean, it's that's what he is right now. I mean, I looked at the A's leader, the A's leader in, in innings pitch now, now that Chris Bassett is out, because uh, what he would be up there. He was at 150 oh, over 150 innings when he got injured. Uh, it's Frankie Montas at 160 over 160 innings. Uh, Wainwright has 30 more innings, and he's 40 years old.
2: But he's tired. God, I hear that tired stuff. It drives me nuts. By the way, Frankie Montas is taking the ball. I mean, uh, Sean Mania is taking the ball every time.
1: Yeah, those are the two guys. I mean, they're both going deep, and you know, we'll give, we'll take. I'll take you, guys take everyone inside a little bit. We're doing a uh, top ten list tomorrow with David Feldman, uh, top ten strikeout uh, pitchers in Oakland A's history. Because I wanted to tie in what Manai and Montas are doing this year, but I mean, what they are doing is great, but. I mean, it'd be better if the team was winning more, but they're still in it, so you can't really discount it all right now. But still, I don't know if
2: I like this list.
1: The, the the Wainwright thing, though, it just blew my mind when I saw that. Did he second in innings pitch, and he's 40 years old?
2: It It, it is the state of the game, and it's kind of sad. I mean, I think about what we saw the other night, San Jose Giants against the Stockton Ports, and you got a guy out there cruising, and they take him out in the fourth inning. And I looked at you, and I'm like, why are they taking him out? Uh, And uh, then uh, right field Will told us, because he's watching these games, being a PA guy down there for the ports going, oh, this happens every game. Like, I'm cruising, I'm doing well, and you take me out with what? I You know many pitches. The guy had. I mean, we we're, we weren't charting it, obviously, but it was like, what? He's sixty pitches and he's gone.
1: Well, I'll give you one better. Uh, Corbin Burns had a no hitter going on Saturday. He got through eight innings, and they said, "No, nah, we're done." I
2: would have punched my. I would have punched the manager.
1: Yeah, literally.
2: I have a no hitter, and you're taking me out. I would punch the manager.
1: Uh, that's he won eight innings, had hundred and fifteen pitches. He got pulled. I don't care. They couldn't. No, they they finished the no hitter, combined no hitter. How many pitches did Josh Hader throw in the ninth inning? This guy. I the don't four. care. He threw nine. You're telling me Corbin Burns can throw nine more pitches?
2: If I have a no hitter and you're taking me out of the game, those are fighting words. You know what? That's on the starters, by the way. To me, a manager can say I'm going to take you out, but as a player, you got to say no, you're not. Wouldn't you say that's on the player? They can have their data. They can have whatever they want. But I am a star pitcher. Because because that's like, then trade me, then obviously can't get traded right now. But you, like front office has pull, obviously. But they only have so much pull over a star player. If you're a star player and you go, no, I'm not. I'm walking back out there. I'm going to make you have to walk out with me and take me out in front of everybody. And this is going to be on MLB Network. This is going to be on ESPN. I'm not doing Yeah, I'm going to show you up. I'm not. Do you think a manager would, would, would go out with the player and force him to leave the game? I'm not buying that. That's where your whole Jacob deGrom that you've thrown at me for all this time when he's basically six innings and dive. If you really were that guy and said, you know what? I'm walking out there. If you want to walk out and take me out, that's going to be in front of the entire sports world. I'm not, I am not allowing you to take me out of a no hitter.
1: Wouldn't you agree? No, I agree. Because Sorry, and I pulled up, I'm going back to Adam Wainwright again because he has 190 innings pitched at age 40. Here are just a few of Adam Wainwright's last few starts. We'll go back to August 1st. Seven innings, seven innings, an 88-pitch complete game. I would just say an 88-pitch shutout against the Pirates. Uh, then he went six innings, then he went eight innings, seven innings, six and a third, eight and a third, six innings. And uh, his pitch count was nowhere near 115. The most pitches he threw in that span, 106, and that was over eight innings. This is a guy that's 40. He's not complaining. I don't think he's complaining about pitches. Is he tired? Uh, not that I've seen. Although he he did throw out a great quote last night, by the way, because they played the Mets. He measured he remembered a sequence with the bases loaded because they had the bases loaded last night against Beltron in the playoffs in oh, in 2006. He did the he threw the exact same sequence. To the Mets hitter last night that he threw to Beltron where he struck him out in the playoffs. He did the same thing last night. And then he mentioned it in his post game. He goes, I figured Mets fans wanted to see it once again. This is a guy that's 40. He's 40. He's 40. He's, he's 41, older than you maybe. are, Cody. Yeah, about 10 years almost.
2: Yeah, he's older than you are. He's not tired.
1: Yeah, he'll be 41 and he just turned 40 15 days ago. So he'll be 41 next year.
2: Yeah, if you're tired right now, and you're in your 20s, I'm going to tell you right now, you're soft. I don't care what. I don't care what you rehabbed. I don't care what surgery you had. I don't care. You're fighting for the postseason, and you're telling me you pitched X amount of times or you've hit X amount of times, and you're tired? That's soft. It is what it is. When I'm watching Tom Brady at 44 years old, having the biggest, strongest, fastest human beings trying to knock him out. And he is, I guarantee you, Tom will play over 20 times this year. Tampa will be in the postseason, and they're going to make a run at the Super Bowl. And you're telling me as a 20-something, you can't start 20 times without being tired, and you only play once every five days? Once every five days? Suck it up, Buttercup. I mean I mean come on.
1: Uh are you ready for me to call are you... hey,
2: hey, the excuses that people make for athletes is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Let's uh I don't want to hear if you're in the bullpen you're tired. I don't want to hear if you've started 20 times and oh we had covid last year. Nobody cares. Ask the Toronto Blue Jays. Do you think anybody on the Toronto Blue Jays feel sorry for you right now? Nope.
1: And you know what they're doing? They're winning. Yeah. I'm, by the way, I'm going to call the, the wonder dog. I'm sure he'll have, a, he'll have a good, maybe he might have a good take on this. You think he
2: was ever tired? The Hudman. man. That's my guy. I love this guy.
1: Fresno zone. Yeah.
2: Do you remember the team that he came up with? Uh, Wasn't, was it the Yankees? It was the New York Yankees. His first couple of years in baseball were in the Bronx.
1: What do you want to do? Um, I'll try him again. But uh, by the way, the Mets that do that Mets story for 30 is coming out tonight. The one uh, the one night in Queens or one year in Queens. I forget what the name of it is, but on the eighty six Mets. So that'll be interesting. On the great Billy Bean. Uh, I don't. Billy wasn't on that team. I don't think. Darryl Strawberry was though. Four, okay, I'm making sure I have the right number. We'll call him again. We'll see. Billy Bean's stories about those guys. Teams of all time.
2: I man it's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you?
3: Oh, what a question, sir. I'm sitting here at the ballpark watching your team take the field, take a little batting practice. I got to see my old roommate, Mike Aldretti, the Doughboy,
1: and
2: <laughs>
3: Cot Co- Bay, my buddies, man. Are you kidding? I'm just kind of letting my blood pressure come down as we speak.
2: No one fires me up for baseball more than you do. You are the best, my friend.
3: Oh, let's just turn it on. Let's give it up to the people.
2: You know, when I think about Kansas City baseball and Salvador Perez, uh, what a year. This is literally, you think about George Brett, you think about Bo Jackson, you think about Steve Balboni, you think about guys that have monster years in the history of Kansas City. This is truly one of the greatest years, and I and I know he's not going to win MVP, but man, I we'll give Shohei Otani all the love, but Salvi Perez is having one of the best years, I think, as you has ever seen being in this game a long time.
3: Oh, you know, just the wear and tear, too. Watching Salvi every night take the foul tip, you know, like those guys do. It's amazing that he just shakes it off so quickly and ho-hum goes on to the next pitch. You know, i tell you, being the designated hitter this year has been big for him. Mike Matheny, former catcher, had multiple concussions in his career. Uh, knows exactly what Salvi's going through. And so, in order to protect him and keep him fresh, he's been able to DH him, and Salvi's okay with that. Salvador Perez has the passion of a young child playing the grand game. And so, he would play every game if they'd let him. But you got to just, you know, he's got to just take half a day off. That's helped him a lot. But he's had he's blocked more balls in the dirt than any other catcher. It's because the first half of the season, we had pitchers that were clueless. They were bouncing balls all over the place. We led the league in walks. But now it's changed a little bit. Salvador Perez is coming into his own, and the fans that come to Coppin Stadium here are coming to watch Salvi hit homers.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking about when you're chasing Johnny Bench's records, that's a huge deal.
3: Yeah, it is, and he knows all those things too. Um, He's very aware of the history, which is great to hear. A lot of the modern-day young players, you know, some of them, you you bring up a name around them, you know, a famous name, and they'll go, oh, I don't know him. So, but Salvador Perez, he knows all of those and I remember one time when I when I introduced him to Rick Dempsey my buddy and former teammate with the, with the Orioles and I said um Salvi this guy caught 23 seasons in the big leagues and Salvi just freaked out and he almost you know wanted to shine his shoes for him he wanted to he wanted to hug him and you know he he just it, 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 he was in awe of that type of grind so he's in for it man he's in to win he's pumped the biggest thing he has now is he's just a little bit over anxious that he's chasing some.
2: You know, we wait not too long ago we had Rick on the program and obviously one of the great catchers and broadcasters of his time. And you know, we were we were laughing, you know, before we called you, talking about how there there there's been this narrative that, Oh my God, some of these guys are tired. And I'm like, Tom Brady's forty-four years old playing in the NFL. I'm like, the HUD man... Would you be tired in a pennant race? I can't even imagine you you coming to the ballpark saying I was tired.
3: Oh, absolutely not. I would tell the guys, fellas, look, you got the whole winter to sleep. Shake yourself. Then we're gonna do something tonight that, that somebody's never seen before. And and there's gonna be a fan that comes to this game tonight that's never watched you play before. What kind of what what what's the impression you're gonna leave that, that young kid? And that young kid, if you hustle and play hard, he might go to the playground and say your name and be you. So there's so many other things that are attached to it. And once you start figuring that out as a player, and, and you know the game has healing powers as you take batting practices. There's no one in the stands. And that a campaign pain that you woke up with saying, I don't know if I can go today, it quickly is erased as the grand game has super healing powers. Believe that.
2: What was it like when you first came up and you're a New York Yankee obviously you're, you're a kid from the Central Valley you're from California but now you're on the biggest stage that there is in sports
3: well they I had to get I had to get through all of these surfer jokes because you know if you're from California and you're in New York City <laughs> you're stereotyped is having a surfboard so I went ahead and just rolled with it and I just say hey look just stay on the board man. Just stay on the board. And it was not easy. I'd walk into the ballpark, and, of course, Willie Randolph, the great Yankee captain, was ahead of me. And so I'd walk into the ballpark, and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there was 200 people out in front of the stadium. And so I'd walk in, and fans would be going, yo, Hudla, you'll never take Randolph's job. You're a bum. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. Hey, fans, take a time out. I'm on Willie's team, and I'm supporting Willie, and I'm backing him up. I don't want his job. I never would say that, of course. I was too scared to death. But, man, I couldn't believe the passion with the people. And then they gave me number 56. And at that particular time was when Lawrence Taylor was a god for the Giants. And so I would run on the field and the, the fans would go, yo, LT, LT. And I, I'd wave <laughs> like I was Lawrence Taylor. Man, I, I absolutely ate it up. But, but to tell you, the one the, the, one of the biggest impressions, my first day in the big leagues, Joe Cowley, and I went went uh, driving in the city, and, and I got out of my I got out of his car, and I got up on the curb, and I looked in the window at some restaurant, and the guy was staring at me, and he was saying my name. He knew my name, and I'm going, oh my gosh, here we are, some random just pulls up in front of somebody, and this guy knows who I am. I mean, it just it freaked me out.
2: Yeah, you think about it. You grew up like three hours from the ocean.
3: Yeah, Fresno, right in the middle. You know, you could you could uh, live in Fresno you can uh, you can surf on one day and ski in the same day until you know so and i've done that before but uh you know central san joaquin valley beautiful place loved oakland alameda county coliseum you know coming there to the day on the green peter frampton carlos uh, santana uh, leonard skinner i mean that's how i was raised and we would come up three hours to the bay area and sit there and get baked in the sun and watch that i was a young teenager man just really love that coliseum every time i'm in it i tremble when i get in the ballpark i love it i hope i hope they keep it there forever
2: you know bob melvin has that poster in his office day on the green you guys are about the same age i don't know how well you know bob melvin but you two big leaguers were probably at the same concert at the same time as kids
3: Oh, probably were. And you know what? So then we came up against each other in A-ball. He played in Alabama. And I, and I uh, remember I, how I knew him was that he had a red Porsche, one of those new Porsches that were out. Um, and, and and it was a new Porsche, and it was parked underneath the bleachers, uh, you know, in its own little parking place. And so I had to find out whose that was, and it was Bo Mells, and I asked him about that all the time, and he laughed about that Porsche. But, you know, I'm really proud of him. Um, he was a good catcher. You know, he had a nice major league career, but, man, his managerial skills are through the roof. And watching these guys the first day, I'll get a chance to go down and see them tomorrow, but I really do appreciate how these guys have evolved in their careers. You know, Aldo and, and Kase, now that they were on one side of the ball. Now they're on the teaching side and the mentoring side. And to me, that's a plus for the future major leaguers that are on Oakland A's team.
2: You know, you think about, like, you, you know, talk about these guys, especially Bob Melvin, where, where you watch their – careers evolve and not everybody's a star player not everybody's going to be a hall of famer but just talk about when you watch guys in their careers as they go from players to coaches to managers just how special that is to watch guys be so successful
3: yeah you know there's, that's a huge reward too and you know even being a broadcaster going down and introducing myself to some of our new players you know i'm not afraid to say hey look i played 10 years of the minors and 10 years of the majors and i just want you to know that i'm not just some some voice up there talking talking out my backside this is this is uh, something that's passionate to me and i got my time in now my job as a broadcaster is to is to enhance your look how you are say good things about you so you can get your 10 years in it's all about you now young man so go ahead and get it and attack
2: it You know, when I think about your career, I mean, watching you play was every day you brought it. It didn't matter what the score was. It didn't matter what the standings were. Just talk about how you played and how someone, you know, a young kid could learn from someone like you to be able to stay in the big leagues as long as you were.
3: Let me tell you, I was blessed to come from one of the greatest high school baseball coaches to ever coach in the central San Joaquin Valley. Mike Noakes, former Golden Bear himself, uh, as a player, and he went on and became a great amateur coach. I had him as, uh, all, all four years through high school, and he taught me the fundamentals like no one else could. And he taught me one thing, son: you need to you need to pretend like that, like you haven't eaten in a week, in first base. And there's a big lunch bucket for you at first, and you go down there and hustle and go get that. You play the game. The way that it's supposed to be played and you'll never have anybody doubt your ability at all so i learned how to hustle and play hard and, and give the credit to the people especially the paying fans once i turned pro man i would get so excited when there would be a, a 200 people but then let alone 56,000 in yankee stadium uh i couldn't help it i i remember making an out in yankee stadium and i ran down the line and, and, and I come back into the dugout there on the first base side in old Yankee Stadium, and the crowd was cheering. And I got in the dugout, and I said, what are they cheering for? I made it out. They said they, they don't see people hustle like that. And so I just really was addicted to hustling and playing hard and uh, priding myself on a pop-up to be at second base when that, when that ball was caught. And, you know, I learned that you can control two things as a ball player, your attitude and your output. Those are the only two things you can control, and if you have any ability at all, you might get you control those two. You got a pretty good chance. I'm so grateful that I was able to play for the teams I played for, and they they were able to stomach me. And and I just really am I, I'm a blessing, or I'm, I'm excuse me, I'm a byproduct of a great sport that was taught well. I was taught well by some of the coaches that I had.
2: You know, it's been a while since we've been able to travel, but uh, I've been very fortunate over my career working for the A's, working for the Raiders, coming to Kansas City. And it's always been hilarious how snobby people are in Kansas City about barbecue. Because, like, every place you go to, you go, this is one of the best meals I've ever had. Uh, As a guy from California and a guy who's traveled a lot throughout the country, uh, Kansas City barbecue, there's no better place.
3: The top shelf. No doubt about it. Just had some friends come in from Orange County to do uh, go to the Chiefs game with me this past weekend when we when we uh, humbled uh, uh, the Browns, and they were blown away by how tender the meat was, the the taste of the barbecue, and they were wanting to eat sushi. And I said, "Man, are you kidding me? Where you're from in California, you you get your you get your sushi. You're here, we're eating barbecue. Q thirty nine is one of my favorites. I'll do Jack Stack. I'll do any of them. Are you kidding?" They all compete with each other, but really we're one big friendly town, and we can't wait to be building a championship a baseball team again and let the people and the passion show the love for the game here in Kansas City. we got a starting rotation that's coming. They're all 25 years and younger, and they're all in place now. We, they're, they're taking their lumps right now, but another year or so, watch out. The Royals will be prominent again.
2: I'm glad you bring up Jack Stats because with the Raiders, we would always stay across the street. And on the other, on the other side was the world war one museum. And when we go to Jack sack, people go like Jack sack. I'm like, that's one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. It was like amazing how people, they, they were like, well, if you don't go to Gates and you go to Kansas city Joe's, you're like, what Jack Sack Like everybody, like every place you go is the best barbecue you've ever had.
3: Yeah. So you can't lose. And the matter of fact, man, I'm just getting so excited talking ball, talking about Kansas city with you here. And, and looking forward to the future. Hey, watch for our middle infield core, man. with, with, with uh, Merrifield and Nicky Lopez, and they lead the league in double plays turned. they have been a lot of fun. Michael A. T- Taylor leads the, the all the center fielders in baseball with defensive runs saved and outfield assists. So we got some pretty good uh, players here, and we can't wait till Bobby Witt Jr. shows up to enhance our uh, our offensive production side. Got some good pieces in the bullpen coming. We have a great manager in Mike Matheny, who's been there and done it with the Cardinals. Uh, very motivating, very passionate, uh, man of integrity. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun here. As a matter of fact, today the news came out that Dayton Moore's position, uh, our GM, has taken a higher position in the organization and, and promoting J.J. Piccolo, who was underneath him for the last uh, 15, 20 years. So our team really got even stronger today.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I know you got to go, but Dayton Moore, you know, when you look at like Billy Bean and you look at Cashman in New York, I mean, Dayton Moore, you know, sometimes you got to do more with less, and I have a lot of respect for him. Just talk about him on your way out here. What a special executive, as a World Series champion, and I've said it before. If it wasn't for Madison Bumgarner, this guy might have two World Series rings with the, with, with the Kansas City Royals.
3: Oh, you got that right. That was an unbelievable feat by Bumgarner. But you know, Dayton Moore, I know him. When I got here ten years ago as a broadcaster, uh, they were desperate, obviously, but they hired me, and and man. Uh, my son was was on his, his son's team, and he was the coach of the team. So I got to know Dayton more right away uh, as a coach, as a person, you know, and how much fun and how much he loves baseball. He has a passion for the game. He's been in every position you can be in in the front office. He started out with John Sherholson uh, in uh, Atlanta. But, you know, he's built – a wonderful uh, a tradition here. He's built a good program with some quality people working by him since 06 he's been here. And, you know, you're right. you got to build when you don't have a major money here. you got to build from within. And he's done it once and he's about ready to do it again. We're going to see another championship product here in a couple of years. But he has integrity. I played for so many different organizations in, in three different countries and for different people. And they would always say, hey, how's the family? But they didn't really mean it. Dayton Moore, the first time you see him and you haven't seen him in a while, he's going to say, oh, how's, how's the kids doing? How's everybody? He cares about family. He's a family man first. He understands the business, takes you away from it. But man, when he when he talks, you listen. Why? Because of the integrity. He's a genuine human being. He's not going to pull your leg on anything. He's always honest. Doing radio interviews with him, my partner, Ryan Lefevre, does every day. He always tells me. I said, how would your meeting go with Dayton? He goes, "Hud, he, he's so transparent. He tells me everything. Anything I ask him, he shares. So you can't beat that type of t- transparency in a in a game like this, in, in a business like baseball. When you treat people right, guess what? They respond, and we're gonna win again here with him.
2: You know what? I, I I I'm just thinking about how old we're getting. All those years I had you on when you were with the Angels. You've now been with the Royals for ten years.
3: Can you believe that? Wow. Hey, the blessings. The blessing's all to me and my family. I've raised them in the high school, high school here. My daughter went to KU. And I get to work with a partner, Ryan LaFever and Steve Fizioch, and talk oh, baseball man. with these guys nightly. It's so much fun. Yeah, Fiz is out here, too. He came with me. And uh, we're just really enjoying baseball. And it's coming, man. I'm telling you, the excitement that was here in 14 and 15 was off the charts. And just, you know, didn't have to do much much color commentating. I just pull back and rein in and, and just let the people watch the product, man. So we're getting to that stage again. But we're real excited to talk to you, bud. I really appreciate you uh, Let me uh, share with your audience today.
2: Well, I, I got to tell you, I miss having you in division because uh, all those years you've been so good to us here with the Oakland A's and being a guy who who's from California, uh, you understand the A's, you understand Northern California. We've always appreciated your t- appreciate your time. I wish we could have you more, and we had with more games like back when you were at the Angels. But no matter what, we're always you know Steve Fiziak has come on, the Fizz has come on for years. We root for you guys. There's no question about that.
3: Thank you, brother. Hey, we'll look forward to seeing you out there again. Just make sure you holler at me. Don't forget me. Take
2: care, Hudman. All right. See you, bud. I love that guy. It's genuine. It's real. Like, how fired up he is, that's every day. That's every day, all day. And, yeah, I can't believe it. it's been 10 years. You know, Cody, you've been around now for a couple of years, but, I mean, I, I, I had him... On all my shows for years, uh, he and Steve physio I, I, I sat one year underneath the. You know those big helmets they have in Anaheim.
1: Yes, Out in front. as as a, one of the ballparks I've been to. Yes, I know that. I know that spot.
2: I did an interview with Steve Fizziok from under one of those helmets. I couldn't even tell you what year that was.
1: Uh, Fiz, is a, Fiz is a really nice guy too. Uh, oh,
2: he's a great guy. Great guy. He was like, I just got. Done having breakfast with my daughter in Newport. <laughs> I was like, these guys are living the dream.
1: Yeah, just like they were
2: living the dream back in the day. Just, just like won the World Series, it's Orange County. People don't realize, like, like, Orange County, if you can live like in Newport or Huntington or, or you'd be like the great Mickey Morbido living in Manhattan Beach in Los Angeles, it's a good lifestyle. Just saying.
1: I grew up in the Midwest, according to everyone, so I don't I don't know what that means.
2: You grew up in Pittsburgh.
1: All I know is the Steelers are one and no and Dave Cavill's Browns are 0-1, so Oh, do uh, not go there. I don't know. Do not go against our president. I don't know. I get when I see Dave next, I'll be like, uh oh, so uh 0-1, huh? Humbled by the uh
2: I did not see that game, but it looked amazing.
1: It was a good game. It it really was. Uh, by
2: the way, hey, um what happened last night?
1: Uh are you talking about in the Raider game? The greatness of the Raiders. Uh, the, the best thing that happened in the game last night. I, I wanted, I've been wanting to play this. I'm playing it. Here's Gruden after the game. I felt like I died and, and woke up and died again. And I was like a cat.
3: I had multiple lives tonight. I don't like playing like that. It was um, um, tough. But, um, again, we, we did a lot of really good things to win that football game tonight.
1: Oh, that's sounds that such a great. I, <laughs> so great.
2: <laughs> I can tell you as someone who traveled with him, talked with him all the time and did his weekly television show. That's who he is. It's not an act. Gruden is a, is a, there's no one like him. I never met anybody like him. And he says stuff like that. And it's hilarious. You should have seen. All right, so we had this whole set in Alameda. Silver and Black Productions. He would come in every... It it didn't matter what was going on. He was always angry. He was always angry. And he'd be mad about something. Will Kiss, who you saw next to him, the head PR guy for the Raiders, uh, was there last night. Gruden would come in. We we'd put them. He'd be he'd be angry about something. And usually when we got him, it was when he had got the you know, when they turn in all the, the plays to the NFL and the NFL goes, oh, yeah, sorry, we missed X amount of plays. And then you would put the microphone on him and I'd start the show and he went into being John Gruden. It's so real. The greatness. That is the Raiders at 1-0. Uh,
1: it was great. It was a great – I know people probably don't care, but uh, as, as one of the few Derek Carr fans, as one of the only people that supports Derek Carr, because I think –
2: We're living and dying with number four.
1: I, I, I'm not even a Raider fan, but I don't hate the Raiders either like a lot of people do. Um, I think Derek gets so much disrespect wait, for – wait
2: wait, 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 wait. What do you mean a lot of people hate the Raiders? What are you talking
1: about? Uh, there are a lot of people who don't
2: like the Raiders. It's a global brand. Let me tell you, I've traveled the world with the Raiders. It's a global brand.
1: And, and you know, the, the thing I'll never understand about Derek, and I'll get to this before we get real quick before we get to Bob Nightingale, the thing I'll never understand about Derek is the, the slander towards Derek Carr is we, we treat him like he's not a good quarterback, but we praise Matthew Stafford for being the greatest quarterback in the history of the world. What has Matthew Stafford ever won? Nothing. I have, I'm i trying to go back. I was sending to my buddies last night. What his number is, or his numbers are, Stafford – He's like 8-67 and 67 versus teams that finished the season with a winning record in his career. The guy can't beat anybody. Yeah, you can beat a bunch of nobodies in your division, but, I mean, come on. Derek beat a playoff team last night, and everyone said, well, he stinks. He if, if Derek Carr does
2: not get hurt on Christmas Eve, the Raiders had a chance to win the Super Bowl.
1: Well, they were really good. I was at that game.
2: They were good. They had a chance against the Indianapolis Colts, Derek Carr goes down, was literally one of the toughest post-game shows I've ever had to do, mixed in with some A's post-game shows that have been tough, especially back-to-back years against Detroit. You realize the one, what was it, 2012? Bob Melvin calls into my post-game show. People talked about they pulled over and were crying on the road. Bob Melvin called in, to the post-game show in 2012 to thank the fans. Name me how many managers in the history of the game called in. I didn't ask him to call in. He just called in. He was listening and called in to say thank you. I'll never forget that post-game show, and I'll never forget, you know, the Warriors, when they won the championships, those were cool. And watching, the, you know, the – all this stuff come down from the ceiling and they've won the championship. And it's like, yeah, this is re- I mean, I'm a part of something that's really, really cool. Right. The warriors have won the championship. And I will never forget that post game show that I did for the Raiders. It was Christmas Eve. Yep. Against my, it, against my, bro- my brother and my nephew were with me. And I remember walking in my house Christmas Eve saying, because this was one of the great seasons, right? The Raiders had, they had the record. It was like seven or eight comeback wins all in the fourth quarter. It was just, it was an unbelievable year. And I remember walking in, looking at my wife going, season's over. Because once your quarterback goes down, as as much as you wanted
1: McGloin Penn, <laughs> Penn State's own baby, but, uh, Then he gets hurt, and you're like, oh, boy. Uh uh." And then it's Connor Cook starting the playoff game versus Houston. Connor uh,
2: Cook. Can I give you a story about Connor Cook? Do we have time?
1: Yeah, but uh, night goes only like 12 and a half minutes, so we got time.
2: All right, Connor Cook. This was a couple of years ago. So I ripped Connor Cook because he was a not a great guy.
1: XFL legend.
2: Connor Cook and I reunite in Cincinnati. And he's with his beautiful. I think they're now married. She doesn't like me. So I'm with all the Raider people and Connor Cook knows exactly who I am. He's now a bingle. He knows exactly she knows exactly who I am. It was so uncomfortable because all the guys like oh, Connor, you know, because I would travel. I would hang out with all the guys that were like, you know, doctors and therapists and these guys who were all around the same age. And they knew him and loved him. And he knew I was the guy that didn't like him because I know all about it. And we're in this restaurant in Cincinnati. This is right before COVID. And Connor Cook and his, I think she was his fiance at the time. We're not happy to see Chris Townsend. Let's just say that.
1: Uh, Real quick before we get to Bob. um, Do you think Melvin called you from the side of the road in his red Porsche? As we found out Rex Hudler. We, we are going to get into that this week.
2: The Hudman man outed Bob in minor league baseball. You had a Porsche. You weren't a bonus baby. He was first round though. He oh. was supplemental first round though. How did you have a Porsche?
1: He grew up in the Menlo area. That's I wouldn't call that a uh, mm. tough living.
2: I, I, I do think Bob came from a little money, but uh, we're, we're going to have to say seriously, you had a Porsche in the minor leagues
1: yeah I'll, I'll get that make sure you guys have it for this weekend
2: oh I cannot I can wait uh do you want to break or just go to the Hudman I mean go to uh, Bob Nightingale
1: go to Bob because he's almost yeah he's uh this intro he's 12 and a half minutes
2: we're gonna warn you the audio isn't the greatest it's coming from a New York airport but here is Bob Nightingale from the USA today
0: You're doing great thanks Chris
2: how was the uh, series there, the uh, Subway Series in New
0: York? Yeah, really, really good. Well done, too, on the Mets part with the uh, uh, commemoration on Saturday night of 9-11. Uh, you know, had all the first responders in the field. Had about 14 guys back from the uh, 2001 Mets team, including Piazza, who pulled in from Italy. So, you know, then Sunday got spiced up with the uh, bench-clearing incident. So, yeah, it was a, it was a uh, good series.
2: You know, when I think about uh, remembering 9 11. You know, so many of us worked on that day in baseball. And uh, you know, I was doing a morning to find what had happened. And just to think what baseball did for our
1: country, bringing us back, giving us some funnel just reflecting on what the 11th meant. And then now to be back in at that
2: time.
0: Yeah, it was a, uh, you know, the people still talk in New York, like, that's the greatest moment to remember is Piazza hitting that home run against Atlanta in the first quarter but back in uh, New York city. In, uh just in reverence. I mean, Piazza will always be a the hero. It was a regular season game. So it'll never be uh, forgotten. And they, uh, yeah, I was just saying they knew at the time doing a Tony Gwynn story. And uh, so obviously the week of uh, games got canceled. I went to Gwynn's house, did the story and stayed there. So, you know what, the San Francisco Giants are coming in next. Uh, well, i go to San Francisco uh, and watch the Barry Bonds watch. Bonds uh, hit two home runs that last day. They said, Well, just stick with it. And I didn't get home uh, for another seven weeks because then the playoffs started. So I was, uh, I, I saw all of Bonds, uh, you know, from uh, 63 on. Uh, so yeah, 10 home runs.
2: Yeah, people forget about that time that Barry Bonds was now going for the home run record and had, it, had to shut it down. And the uh the Giants were in Houston at the time. I mean, a lot of people forget about that, what Perry did during all these, these tragic times.
0: Yeah, people were kinda of transfixed on uh oh, let's see what's gonna happen here and people knew that of all the records. Here's Bonds, he was at uh you know, sixty three home runs when the uh nine eleven attacks hit and then uh then just took off. The uh you know, it's like, you know, you get, you know, two one day, then nothing. I think the last game before the uh The games were shut down. He hit three home runs in Colorado. Uh, So, yeah, it was uh, uh, fun to watch. I mean, if he had got pitches to hit, if people had actually pitched to him, I swear, Chris, you would have had over 90 home runs easily.
2: Well, and, and, you know, we just had Tony LaRusse in town, and we were talking about the 20th anniversary of the Mark McGuire-Sammy Tosa 1998 and how that basically saved baseball in a lot of ways. Just talk about what it was like to cover that at that time, because it was like a magic time in our game. Yeah.
0: Well, it was. That was the best thing uh, I've ever covered. It was a, uh, fabulous. I was mostly watching McGuire's games, and I, so it's almost like you had to pick one. And of course, and McGuire was always ahead. So I was at pretty much all his games in September, in that moment when he hit the home run to uh, pass up Roger Maris, you know I still get goosebumps. I mean, guys are crying in the uh, in the press box over that. Uh, it was just so emotional. Then to see him hugging the Maris family and the uh, you know the sons, uh, you know the, the crowd going crazy uh, for just for one moment, you know, especially a regular season game. That was by far the coolest thing you have ever covered.
1: Yeah, I,
2: I I think about that time when those guys are changing baseball forever. We had Mark McGuire on when he became an A's Hall of Famer. and talks about how people to this day still come up to him and thank him for saving baseball. And I think about, I think about your great career, the fact that you say that's the coolest thing you ever covered in your career, is truly really amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember some great post-recent moments, obviously but just, you know, regular season, just individual accomplishment. Uh, man, it was unbelievable. I remember going to the field the next day, I'd do some kind of a TV thing and even grabbing some piece of grass. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what that is now, sort of thrown away. But it was, it was just that cool to be part of.
2: You know, when you look at the American League standings right now, and obviously the A's are still in this thing, but just talked about how there, there are teams that are all bunched up and we got five teams vying for two spots.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean Yankees just pulled one out yesterday against the Twins. Uh tell you what, Toronto's got one spot. Uh it's unbelievable what they have done. And they're gonna be scary. They may be the team to beat next year. I don't think they're gonna win the World Series this year. But I'm convinced they'll have the uh they'll be the number one seed uh in the AL wild card. Then I you know, I really think realistically it comes down to the Yankees and Mets. Uh, you know, the A's bullpen just collapsed. Uh, I mean the Marte thing, they went for it. But you know, if you're a A's fan or A's A's player, you got to be so incensed that all they had to do was keep Marcus Simeon, who was begging to stay, and then with Simeon him the two home runs against the A's, it's like you know, that's what the, that's you get. And the ownership, you know, went cheap, and you know, uh, you know, could have given that same money to uh, the closers who got hurt, you know, missed all year. Uh, so yeah, Rosenthal. So it, it's a shame. Yeah, but I think. They're gonna, I think they're going to fall short. Of course, they play Seattle seven times, so they'll knock each other off. I, I think it's Toronto's got one spot, and then uh, probably the Yankees, although I don't discount the Red Sox. What
2: what What is it about these Toronto Blue Jays that all of a sudden they've gotten red hot and they're so tough to beat? Very
0: tough to beat. They've got a great, great lineup and a fun lineup. They're, those guys are young. They're me around, Chris. Uh, the pitching staff, you know, probably going to get some more starters, you know, in the future, but you know, Robbie Ray, you know, signed a one year, $8 million contract. Uh, and he's, you know, he might win the Cy Young this year and just, you know, they're getting enough pitching, but you know, when, you know, Guerrero any other year, he'd be a slam dunk, uh, you know, MVP. This guy still may win the triple crown, but just a great young lineup, you know, Springer's been hurt, but he's still, uh, you know, doing enough for these guys. And, uh, you know, and of course, uh, you know, Bijou Sun and uh, Bichette. You know, it's a, a, a fun, fun team. And Sabian's going to finish in the top five of MVP, if not top three or four.
2: Yeah, what are we going to do with the MVP when you start looking at what Shohei Ohtani has done this year as a hitter, as a pitcher, but on a not very good team versus, you mentioned, Vladimir Grove Jr. could win the Triple Crown. How, how do you? I mean, I don't have a vote, obviously, but you do. Like, 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 how do you? How, how do you decide who should be the guy?
0: You know, I think in years past it would be Guerrero. I mean, when the uh, uh, you know you take your team to the playoffs, you win a Triple Crown, there would be you know no contest. But now I think voters go pretty much the best players and most valuable player. I'm mean, not taking it away from Shohei Otani. I mean, historic year. But when we were giving the award to Mike Trout those years and, you know, the angels were same thing. We're doing nothing. It's almost like you got to give to Otani uh, now as well, just because the uh, history of it. I mean, he did have a poor second half offensively, but pitched very well, you know, after the all-star break. So I, I think it's still Otani in a landslide, but it, it should not be unanimous. It really shouldn't.
2: Wow. You just think about that. you like like a guy that's carried his team and helped his team get to the postseason versus a guy, like you said, I mean, Trout has been so great for all these years. And I think about what Shohei Ohtani is doing this year. How do we change this? Because obviously creating the Hank Aaron award for the guy who is the best offensive player hasn't changed this. How do we change a guy that should be the MVP versus a guy who's just a really good offensive player on a team that's not very good?
0: Yeah, and we got to you know, remind people, remind the voters, it's not best player, it's most viable. And you're not viable, I don't care what kind of year you had, if you don't take your team to playoffs. You know, now with Otani's doing historic, so it's a little different. But, you know, go, I, I go back to what Trout's done the you know, last few years, you know, that sort of thing. I'll give you an example, Chris, right you know, right now in the National League, right, you know, if uh, people vote, they're going to vote for Tatis. It's like, wait a minute now, the, the uh, Padres have collapsed, He's done just okay, and uh, to me, the most viable player is Brandon Crawford. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have the offensive numbers, but you know, th- you know, tell you what, you take Crawford away from the Giants, they're not taking first place.
2: I, I like how you put that. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. There's no pressure playing on a team to try and trying to win a championship and trying to win a division versus a guy that shows up to the yard every day, Bob, and there's no pressure because your team's not going to the playoffs and it doesn't matter. You are just playing out the season.
0: Oh, absolutely, Chris. I mean, I, you look at the trade deadline. Uh, I see a guy like Adam Frazier going from the pirates to, to the pod race. Not that San Diego is a pressure cooker by any means. But now you've got some pressure being a pennant race. And you know, you're not uh, you know, on a last place team in Pittsburgh. And look what he's done. He's he you has know, struggled big time. Uh Andrew Haney from the uh, Yankees is, you know, gone belly up there. Joey Gallo, you know, pretty of those numbers in Texas when you have know, nothing to play for. You know, now he's stunk in uh, New York, you know, striking on every other at bat. So it's a whole different thing when you have pressure in performing.
2: Yeah, there is no doubt about it. And, you know, when I think about these last few games, especially for the Oakland A's, just talk about what the pressure cooker that is trying to get in to a one-game wild-card spot.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a fun time, but it's pressure. It's a fun pressure, uh, particularly for the A's. I mean, you know, kudos to fun office. For going for it and grabbing Marte. and uh, you know here, here's a guy <laughs> you who know, was a uh, you know nothing going on in, in Miami and look what he's done. I mean he's been fabulous for the uh, A's. You know that might have been you know outside Scherzer the best a uh, you know pickup by anybody. So yeah, it's a fun pressure and uh, it's funny. I was at the MLB office today and I said you know there really hasn't been a big stunning upset in a, in the one game wild card. You know this this could happen this year. But as I reminded those people, hey, the A's had a what it was a three or four run lead against Kansas City that year, and they should have won that game. If the A's win that game, who knows? Maybe they win the World Series.
2: If you could buy stock in one team right now, who would that team be?
0: Because I'm going to buy because I'm going to buy a low when I think it's got the best upside. I'll go Milwaukee Brewers. I think the Brewers are as good as any team in baseball. People don't talk about the small market team. I will go to the Brewers. I think the Brewers are a fabulous team, and nobody ever talks about them.
2: You know, and, and my producer, Commander Cody, he loves the Brewers. I mean, you, you think about it, I mean, this might be the one year we go into what, what doesn't it feel like Bob? It's like a tournament. Like whoever gets in is gonna have a shot.
0: They will. And they uh you know we'll see what happens. I mean, the Giants are a team that as good as they are. People never talking about him as having a shot, more of a a long-term team than a short-term team. But the Brewers are good, I and mean, when you have those three guys at the top of the rotation, and then you two guys with Hader and Williams at the back end, uh, and now Yelich is heating up, they're they're dangerous. Uh, I put them I'll put them against the Dodgers and Giants any day.
2: Hey, great stuff as always. We appreciate having you on the program. Have a safe flight back from New York, and let's talk when we get into the postseason
0: all right look forward to it chris take care
2: yourself yeah that was really special when you think about the the mets and the and the yankees and september 11th and having that series when they did there was no question it was special and you know we'll never forget and a lot of us who were in this business at that time uh what it was like you know we asked vince catronio vince was talking about the rangers when he was working for the rangers we're in San Francisco. I was doing a morning show on KNBR at the time. And I actually watched the second plane hit the second tower live. And two minutes later, had to go on air going, we're being attacked. It was a crazy time. So great to have Bob on and to talk about uh, what they did in New York and the Yankees and the Mets. And also, you know, looking at where we are, Cody, with with the wild card. I mean, you can look at the the division for the A's is still in play, right? That's a reality. And that's because you got so many games against Houston. But that that, that one wild card spot, whether you're the top or you're the bottom, is there for five different teams right now.
1: Yeah, and they're all separated by two and a half games or less, which is just – Wild, just like the National League, it's the same way. And, you know, we saw the Giants, as Bob mentioned, they clinched a playoff spot yesterday. And uh, it's just, uh, they brought a graphic up earlier, and I don't mean to go on about the Giants, but they this this team they have right now, this war, the war they have is the, third, is the third highest war in baseball right now, team rank. It's the best among their the three teams they won the World Series with. This is the best war among those teams is this year. We will
2: get into this once we get into postseason time. They are going to be, mark my words, one of the best, most disappointing teams in postseason history. Oh, shots fired. Shots fired. And and, and I'm not doing that because just because I'm the A's guy. It's the Giants. You wait. The way they're built, the way they win, and how that works in the postseason will be judged by someone like me.
1: Well, they uh, they better. Okay, f-
2: you're miss. Y- y- you are an analytics guy.
1: No, I, I, no, I'm not disagreeing with you because they need to they find. They
2: are built. They are built. Farhan, Gabe Kapler, they're built on analytics. How will that work in the
1: postseason? Well, what, what they need to figure out is starting pitching. Uh, they can't bullpen their way to a World Series. They they they've been doing that for the last few weeks because they runs uh that's essentially what they've been doing and i mean they're banking on all these guys in their lineup they're all having like no one's having a down year for them which is unbelievable
2: all of a sudden i'm telling you you're gonna you're gonna get into the postseason pressure's on pitching's the best which i don't even think is the best i mean i don't even know how to quantify that anymore like i really don't have i don't know how to quantify pitching anymore
1: yeah you know i'm 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 taking the Brewers. Still, Ooh. that's still my team in the National League.
2: I don't think they're winning either.
1: Well, my team in the National League stinks, so I'll, I'll take the team, I'll take a team from their division.
2: <laughs> but these teams that are built, as we saw with Moneyball, you're built to win in the regular season. Does it work in the postseason? They're going to be very
1: fascinating because teams are going to try. If because they're if
2: you not know, fa- they're not fast. They don't have athleticism they don't generate runs other than the long ball. Like, you start looking at what the Giants are built on. Like, completely opposite of what you'd say, like, you look at the Toronto Blue Jays, where they're they're like electric. I mean, these guys, they're, I mean, hell, with Vlad losing weight, he can run. So, it'll be, the the playoffs will be very interesting. I think there's no question.
1: I agree. Um, uh, we will. you know, we still got a couple more weeks till we get there. But the Giants are the first team to clinch, and people are still going. Well, the Dodgers are going to win the NL, the NL West. The Dodgers. Uh, let's let's, let's I don't see. Know if I'm betting on that. Uh, <laughs> I, I do know I know we I know we're out of time, but can't wait to text, we out of time? Can How we have time? Can't wait to text your brother and say, "Hey, what happened to your Padres? Huh? Thought they were going to be better than the Dodgers." Does but, he owe you money? Uh, I don't think we put money on it, but I think it was. A beer bet or something, but it doesn't matter. He said the Padres are going to be better than the Dodgers. They might not even finish five hundred. But yet
2: they're aren't they're the second wild card right now.
1: Ah, uh, the Reds are the Reds are. The Reds are. Yeah. Did but that
2: flip overnight?
1: It's a half game, I thought. And the Reds are losing to the Pirates right now.
2: According to my standings, the Padres are seventy four and sixty eight, and the Reds are seventy five and 69. They're in a virtual tie at 521 winning percentage.
1: My phone on MLB app has the Reds at 75 and 69 and 74 and 69, so the Reds have it right now. Did the
2: Padres lose today?
1: No, they lost yesterday to the Giants.
2: Ooh, I might be a day behind in my standings. What is the date today? The 13th?
1: Today's the 14th, so you are a day behind. The 14th? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The Reds, baby. The Red legs are right there. But they're losing yeah, they're
2: half, But you know what? Cardinals are a half game. Kevin Franzen and the Phillies are still alive at two and a half. The and, Mets, the Mets and the Mets at are three and half.
1: Half. Yeah, Mets are still there somehow. I don't know. We'll see. see. All right. All right, we'll talk more about this tomorrow. And the A's,
2: two and a half games back.
1: Uh the way to phrase this for tomorrow. Top 10 dominant strikeout seasons in Oakland ace history is what we're doing with Feldy. I'm going Vida Blue, number one. He boy well, did have 300 innings that year.
2: <laughs> I'm going Vida Blue. What year was that, 72 or 73? Was it the year I was born? Oh, no, no, it been 71.
1: It was the year he won the Cy Young MVP.
2: That was 71, right? I he wasn't was, even born yet.
1: Yeah, he had uh he had 300 and uh, 301 strikeouts and in 312 innings. <laughs>
2: I'm going Vita Blue number one, yeah. even though none of us were alive.
1: All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the list is like tomorrow.
2: All right. when, I'm back. when?
1: In five minutes.
2: In five minutes on A's Total Access. Great job, Cody. We'll we'll talk to you tomorrow.
1: Uh, well, who's wait? Who's A's Total Access? Brought to you by.
2: Uh, Francis Ford Coppola Winery. Okay. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.